Our scripture this morning will come from the book of Joshua, chapter 6, verse 22 through 27. Joshua chapter 6, verse 22 through 27. But Joshua had said to the two men who had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and from there bring, the woman, bring out the woman and all that she has, as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all the relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day. But she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent out to spy, spy out Jericho. Then Joshua charged them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds the city Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn, and with his youngest he shall set, it up, set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout all the country. Good morning. It is so good to see all of you, and it's so wonderful to be with God's people. Uh, if you're a guest, we definitely want to welcome you to our midst today, and I hope that you'll get to know somebody here. I know one thing's for sure, Greg Prince wants to meet you today, here for both services, so I'm glad he's here. We're thankful for that. We're thankful for the Dominsky family, and uh, what, a, what a great place to be, and what a, what a great God that we serve. We want to be mindful of our team that's in El Salvador this week. Um, someone said about 15 people, someone said about 30, someone said 35. I don't know, about somewhere between 15 and 1,000 people are in El Salvador from Mount Juliet doing mission work this week. And so we're thankful for our team and let's all be prayerful for their safety. But more than that, let's, let's pray for spiritual blessings and let's pray that people there can be reached with the life-changing power of God's word. We serve a God who's in the saving business, so we want to be a people that's in the saving business. Did you ever pretend to be a spy growing up? Maybe that's just a guy thing. I don't know. But some of you know I'm, I'm the, the son of a, of a preacher man. And uh, my brother and I, we're, we spent a lot of time in the church building growing up. A lot of our afternoons after school were spent at the church building. And I don't know, sometimes that could get pretty boring. There's only so many games of hide and seek that two people can play. And so one of our favorite things to do, our absolute favorite game, happened on Wednesday afternoons. It was called Spy on the Cleaning Ladies. We had two ladies who cleaned our church building, and every Wednesday they came. And so my brother and I would pretend to be spies, and we would, we would kind of get on the floor and crawl under the pews army style. And, and we would sometimes, you know, lay down on the floor before we went around a corner, and we laid and just kind of peeked around and make sure everything was cool. And, and sometimes, you know, we, we figured out how to make the door open and shut without making a single sound. We love to be spies. You may remember that back in 2010, the FBI busted a Russian spy ring. 
It was a pretty crazy story. It was a very sophisticated ring. In fact, they came dangerously close to accomplishing a portion of their mission while they were here in the United States. They were trying to penetrate foreign policy circles. They'd even befriended a friend of a sitting cabinet official, FBI counterintelligence assistant director Frank Figliuzzi, that's a fun word, said, they wanted to get their hands on the most sensitive data they could get their hands on, but we took this thing down before the classified information changed hands. They were the cream of the crop, handpicked out of the Russian Intelligence Academy because of their fluency in languages and their ability to acclimate into another society, he said. FBI surveillance footage gives us a glimpse into just how sophisticated that these spies were. They were able to hide hidden messages up under bridges to exchange information that way. They exchanged information, sometimes contacts, sometimes money from brush passes, if y'all have seen that in the movie, where they just walk beside someone in public and information is exchanged. It's crazy. They were also able to transfer data, data with uh, information on encrypted laptops. One of the female spies who was kidnapped um, actually played a part in their capture. Uh, because they broke the code, the FBI was able to place an informant into the spy ring. At one point, that female spy that I mentioned earlier, she handed her laptop over to the informant so that he could fix some of the mechanical issues that her laptop was having. She had no idea that it was an FBI agent. And the mechanical issues were really issues that the FBI had caused. All of the Russian spy members, they spoke fluent English. They were hardworking middle-class people. They attended U.S. colleges or graduate schools. Some even married each other and, and had children. And they, they had assumed these under-the-radar American middle-class lives, all the while searching out top-level contacts in U.S. policymaking. Figliuzzi says, the Russians were in it for the long haul. They were patient enough to wait decades to achieve their objective. He says, spying has been with us since the Old Testament. Spying is with us now. Why spy? It's to gain some kind of advantage over your opponent, isn't it? Some kind of inside track. And I won't go into it right now, but maybe you know something about Spygate. You want to try to find a weakness in the armor of your opponent. And that's exactly where our story begins this morning in Joshua chapter 2. I hope you'll take your Bibles and turn there as we study. We're going to read together starting in verse 1. It starts off with a tale of two spies. Now Joshua the son of Nun sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy, secretly saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. All right, time out real quick. Joshua's math, I just want to notice, Joshua's math is a little bit interesting because if you remember the last time that the spies were sent into a foreign land, how many did they send? Twelve. How many did they send in this time? Two. You think Joshua remembers last time? He was one of those two spies that came back with a good report. You better believe he remembers that because that episode sent the, sent the Israelites back into the wilderness for another 40 years of wandering. Joshua wasn't going to make a mistake this time. So they went and they came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. Now we need to be very clear about something. These aren't two knuckle-headed Israelite men looking for a one-night stand. They're not looking to make a stupid mistake. 
These are two spies hand-selected by Joshua himself. If anybody knows something about what it takes to be a good spy, it's Joshua, right? These are not distracted men. These are men on a mission. We're told later that Rahab's home was, was on the city wall. So you can imagine these, these two spies coming into the city and, and ducking into the nearest hole in the wall that they could find and just to kind of lay low. But word gets out. Verse 2, And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. And here's where Rahab does something that maybe sounds a little crazy at first. Verse 4, Then the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan to the fords. And as soon as those who had pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Okay, now Rahab has crossed a very, very serious line. She's committed treason. She's helped the enemy. She's given refuge to them. She's lied to the king, and now she's, now she's helping them escape. If the king finds out, she's as good as dead. So Rahab, what are you doing? Are you crazy? Where are you at in this thing? What are you thinking? Do you want to die? The Bible tells us, verse 8. Now before they, talking about the spies again, before they laid down, she came up to them on the roof. And she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Have you ever had one of those conversations that couldn't wait till the morning? One of those times where something was on your mind and something was on your heart so much that when you laid your head down on your pillow, it was all you could think about. You couldn't wait till the next day to deal with it. You had to deal with it right then. Rahab's got something to get off her chest. Look back at verse 8. Before they laid down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. Wow. You may have caught this, but you have got to see this. I want you to consider for a moment the remarkable amount of faith that this woman has. Rahab calls the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. You may or may not know this, but any time in the Old Testament you see the word Lord capitalized like that, it's because it's talking about the name of the Hebrew God, our God, Jehovah God, the one true God, the specific name of God, I am. Rahab says, the Lord has given you the land. She doesn't say, hey guys, I know that your God has come in and he's going to take care of things for y'all. She doesn't say, hey, I know that God is going to give y'all the land. 
She's living in a pagan city, a city with idols, a city with its own little G gods. Rahab says, I know that the one and only God has given you this city. Isn't it interesting that Rahab had more faith than 10 of the Israelite spies who were sent into Canaan? Now, more faith than 10 of God's people who have seen and witnessed firsthand the incomparable power of the Almighty God. Rahab hasn't seen a single miracle. Rahab didn't get to walk through the waters and see the wall on either side of the Red Sea. Rahab didn't get to see manna drop out of the sky from heaven. Rahab didn't get to see the fiery pillar light up the sky for God's people to walk at night. She's never seen water gush out of a rock. She's never seen the earth open up and swallow the rebels who rebelled against God. But this sinful individual who makes her living by selling her body for sex, living in a doomed city where they worship idols, has more faith in God than 10 Israelite spies. That's messed up. You know what else is messed up? It's messed up when the people of God who've witnessed his power firsthand doubt the power of that God to see them through. When we do that, we're just as foolish as the Israelites. If we've seen God's power firsthand, don't forget what you've seen. Don't forget God's power. How many times do you read statements like this in the Old Testament? Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. Remember, do not forget how you provoke the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. And countless times, God feels the need to reintroduce himself to these people. Why? He says, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Moses. I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I brought you out of slavery. I'm going to take you to a land filling, flowing with milk and honey. I made a promise to Abraham. Help us not to be forgetful people but to remember that our God is a God who saves. He's a God who says he is in that business. That's who he is and that's what he does. Rahab says, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint hearted because of you. Now keep in mind, she's on the wrong team. She's not supposed to be saying stuff like this. But I gotta ask, does this sound familiar to you? You think this sounded familiar to Joshua? I bet it was statements like this that made Joshua want to bang his head against the walls of Jericho. Because back in Numbers 14, verses 6 through 9, we read that Joshua and Caleb came back and they said this in verse 7. They spoke to all the congregation saying, The land we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. 
Rahab basically quotes Joshua and Caleb. The Lord is going to give you this land. The people of our city are afraid for their lives because the Lord is with you. We're scared to death. And here's Rahab saying exactly what Joshua and Caleb were selling in the first place. And she keeps going. She says, we've heard how the land dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. We heard what he did to the two kings of the Amorites. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. She says a God like that has a reputation that precedes himself. I know without any doubt that your God is the God. We need to move on, but what I want you to do as we continue to study is we're going to read the next few verses without a lot of commentary, but really, this is not a story about prostitution. This is not a story about spying. This is a story about saving people. And so what I want you to do is over these next few verses, I want you to look for that idea of salvation as we read them together. And you'll see it over and over again in the verses that follow. Let's pick up in verse 12. Now, therefore, I beg you, this is Rahab talking to the spies, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you will also show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare their salvation. My father, my mother, my brothers, my sister, and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. Salvation. So the men answered her, our lives for yours, if none of you tell this business of ours and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you then she let them down by a rope through the window salvation for her house was on the city wall she dwelt on the wall and she said to them and everything she says here is about salvation get to the mountains lest the pursuers meet you hide there three days until the pursuers have returned afterward you may go your way So the men said to her, we will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you've made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. Salvation. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household into your own home. So it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head and we will be guiltless. Is this bringing back memories of the Passover to you? The Passover is about to come to the prostitute's house. This is amazing. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath, which you made us swear. And she said, according to your word, so be it. And she sent them away and they departed and she bound the scarlet cord in the window and their salvation again. Bear with me. Let's see how the story ends. We got to fast forward though to Joshua chapter six, pick up in verse 20. This is after the, the city is, is being surrounded by God's people. They're God's marching band. Remember that? They blow the trumpets and the Ark of the Covenant's going around. Verse 20. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet And the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword. But Joshua had said to the two men who'd spied out the country, go into the harlot's house and from there bring out 
salvation. The woman and all that she has as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had, their salvation. And they brought out salvation. All of her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. Salvation. But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Only the silver and the gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared salvation. Rahab the harlot, her father's household and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day. Salvation. Because she hid the messengers. Salvation. Whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Yes, it's a story of destruction. But it's a story about saving people. The spies were saved in the household of Rahab. The Lord saved Rahab because of her faith. Rahab was in the saving business too. She saved the spies. She saved herself. She saved the lives of her family. Rahab and her family were saved from fiery destruction. Isn't that interesting? The window was a means to salvation and so was the scarlet cord in her window. Then death would, would pass over her household. Remember the Passover? It was kind of like the blood on the doorpost. Rahab found salvation in being allowed to dwell with God's people in Israel. She had a new home. Our God is a God who saves people. He saved one family from a worldwide flood that destroyed everything. In Sodom, he saved the family of Lot. In Jericho, he saved the family of Rahab. In Mount Juliet, he's saving sinners. And all over the world today, he's saving sinners. Jericho's a story about God saving people. The Bible is a story about God saving people. Jesus is a story about God saving people. Are you saved? As we close, I want to notice five things about saved people from this story. Number one, saved people save people. Saved people save people. Let me ask you, why send spies into Jericho in the first place? You ever you thought about that? Why do they need to send spies into Jericho? We're talking about a God who can wipe out enemies while the Israelites are taking a nap. He doesn't need their help. He doesn't need the one up. He doesn't need the advantage over the opponent. Why send spies? Did you catch this? I admit I didn't catch it until I read it about five times. The story began with two spies, but did you notice what they're called at the end of the story? They're called messengers. Wait a minute, why would they be called messengers? Apparently this spy mission was really a rescue mission. They had a message for Rahab. Why send spies? It was to save people. God had a plan to save a God seeker. We're a whole lot like these spies, aren't we? Look what Joshua, their commanding officer, says to the spies in verse 22. But Joshua had said to the two men who spied out the country, go into the harlot's house, think about what that house represented, a house of sin, and from there bring out the woman and all that she has as you swore to her. And I'm going to put Matthew 28 up on the screen so that you can read exactly what our commanding officer Jesus Christ says to us. But allow me to paraphrase. Joshua said, go into the house and bring out the woman. Jesus says, go into the world and bring out the people to me. 
we're like the spies. We're told to go and bring out. Saved people, save people. Number two, saved people don't rebuild Jericho. Saved people don't rebuild Jericho. Joshua 6, 26, there's a curse that's pronounced from Joshua. Joshua charged them at that time saying, cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds this city Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn and with his youngest, he shall set up its gates. Listen, if God has delivered you from Jericho, don't go back and live there. If God has rescued you from a sinful place and a sinful life, get out of there. It's not safe. But I've got my friends in Jericho. My job's in Jericho. My family's in Jericho. Jericho's home. I kind of like Jericho. My past is in Jericho. Exactly. Your past is in Jericho. It's about a new beginning. It's time for a change in scenery. It was time for a change in scenery for Rahab. It was time for a change in friends for Rahab. It was time for new friends. It was time for a new job. It was time for a new life. It's time for us to start thinking about a new home, not one like Jericho with walls that can crumble, but a city with foundations firm as the eternal throne. Saved people number three. Saved people are in the same camp. I promise I'm not trying to be crude. I'm trying to be realistic about this situation. Do you think that there was talk when this citizen of the enemy city of Jericho, not just a citizen, but a prostitute of Jericho, was allowed to come along on this journey? Do you wonder if there were whispers? Do you wonder if there were looks? Do you wonder if, if people questioned whether or not she had any right to be there in the first place? I imagine she may have gotten the Saul turned Paul treatment when she first turned things around. Can we really trust this lady? Is she for real? Listen, when God saves someone, they are saved regardless of who they used to be regardless of who they used to be. Why is that? Because God has saved them. And so when God saves a prostitute who obeys the gospel, they are just as much a citizen of the kingdom of heaven as you or I. When God saves a mass murderer on death row, they're saved. If God has added someone to his church, then those of us back at camp have better loved them and welcome them and accept them and care for them and provide for them as much as our God does. In 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 12, Paul describes this long list of sinful lifestyles. You can look at them there. But then he gets to verse 11 and he says, Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Saved people are all in the same camp. Number four, saved people are given a new identity. Saved people are given a new identity. The very last verse of, of Joshua 6 that we read tells us that she was allowed to dwell in Israel because she had the messengers whom Joshua had sent to spy out Jericho. 
Listen, I know it's not exactly the same, but in a similar way to how God adds saved people to his church, God added Rahab, a saved person, to his people of the Old Testament, the Israelites. God brought Rahab near to himself, and time and time again, God proves faithful to those who diligently seek him. That sounds a whole lot like Hebrews 11 verse 6, doesn't it? Without faith... It is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We keep reading in Hebrews 11, and whose name do we see? It's Rahab. But I still haven't mentioned the biggest reason of all as to why this story is one about saving people. Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Sometimes you might read it and, and get caught up in a long list of names. But listen to this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, Jesus' family tree. The son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab. Aminadab begot Nashon and Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David, the king. And then if you skip down through that long list of names and you go to verse 16, you'll read that Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Rahab the prostitute has been given a new identity. She's in Jesus Christ's family tree does that blow your mind a little bit? Rahab may have saved a handful of people from physical destruction, but she's forever connected with the only one who can save the world from eternal destruction, Jesus Christ. Rahab didn't remain a prostitute. She became to Israel a, a model of faith and a living, breathing testimony to God's power and his mercy and his grace and his faithfulness. Let us all be reminders like that. Number five, saved people get their windows ready. Saved people get their windows ready. God was writing a more important story in Jericho than the one he wrote with his marching band. He was writing his son into the story. Maybe it wasn't Joshua who sent those spies after all. That hole in the wall that the, the spies quickly dove into for shelter was really God's way of giving Rahab a chance to be whole in the wall even though destruction was on every side. And after Rahab added a scarlet cord to that same window that the spies used as a fire escape, it became a fire escape to her family as well. Rahab literally had a window of opportunity to be saved from a coming destruction, but she had to get her window ready. A scarlet cord had to be hung up in the window to save her, and it's not hard for us to see the symbolism here, is it? The scarlet blood of Jesus Christ had to be hung up on the cross to save us. His blood has opened up a window for us. There is no other way to be saved from the destruction that is coming. If you knew that you only had three days left on this earth, what would you do? Is there something 
you've left undone. Something that maybe when you lay your head down on your pillow, it's that thought that keeps coming up, that keeps haunting you. Sometimes it might even give you a sleepless night. Have you wandered away from God or have you never come to God in the first place? Friends, destruction is coming. It might be in three days. It might be in three hours. It might be in three minutes. It's time to get your windows ready. Jesus Christ has provided you this morning with a window of opportunity to be saved from a coming destruction. When he comes back, will your window be ready for him? If you'd like to be saved by the scarlet blood of Jesus Christ, you have an opportunity right now to use the window that he's open. If we can help you in any way, please come as together.